Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with my guy, Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's up, man? Good to have you back. Good to be back. Always good to be back on here. We're uh, ready to talk through the first two games of the NBA Finals, and it's looking like we're going to end up getting more games than we originally thought. Yeah, yeah. Who said these finals are going to be boring, right? I, I feel like, you know, with the star power, with Nikola Jokic, with Jimmy Butler and everybody else that falls in line after that. And I'm doing a disservice to a lot of the names I didn't just say we were bound to have a, a good finals. I feel like one of the things that I thought about when seeing the conference finals in the East and the Western Conference was that these two teams are like just really mentally tough and they're really good at like taking blows and, and, and bouncing back. So I kind of felt like that is what we were going to see in this series. And I kind of feel like we've seen that thus far. And there's plenty to get in, into with that final series and plenty to get into around the league on um, this episode. We're going to cover a lot uh, this week, you know, from the finals. But before we get to the finals, uh, some offseason news because the offseason has started for 28 teams already. Um, Got to get through that. I think we should start today on uh, Monday, uh, June 5th. We're, we're thinking you know, we're coming off a of game two of the finals and then Sham Sharania and Chris Haynes come with some big news that apparently Kyrie Irving is recruiting LeBron to Dallas. I know we were thinking that LeBron was going to recruit Kyrie to L.A., but now it's the other way around and he's going to like maybe get traded, maybe get bought out. Like, What do we even make of this? Is this just boring offseason chatter because they have nothing else to talk about? They could be talking about the finals, but instead now we're talking – can LeBron James land with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic in Dallas? Yeah, those reports come in at a very curious time with two days off in between finals games. Yes. Um, you know, I think I made the joke to you guys on one of our work calls today that like, I imagine this going as like Kyrie just puts LeBron and Luca in a group chat and just drops in like one of those like bad Photoshop pictures off of Twitter of them three in a Mavs jersey with like the eyeballs emoji. And then like LeBron screens, screenshots that sends it to Rich Paul. And then he sends it out to all the media outlets just to like give, give people something to talk about because I mean, you're the one that wrote about it over on the sporting news. I just don't see how this happens. It feels so far fetched. Uh, I wrote about like how difficult the contract buyout process would be and how LeBron would have to clear waivers for the nine worst teams in the NBA before he could land on the Mavs. Uh, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, the, the Mavericks don't exactly have a ton of assets uh, of any value to trade that the Lakers would actually want in return. Like this really just kind of feels like a pipe dream. And like you said, sort of just boring offseason news to me. Yeah, it's kind of funny in Chris Haynes' report, not even to call him out. I think it's just kind of funny that they didn't even vet this this thought, but they said that the Mavericks were prepared to to field an offer for LeBron James ahead of the trade deadline. Then it dawned on me, and I remember LeBron wasn't even trade eligible this season because <laughs> right, of when he yeah. signed when he signed his <laughs> when he signed his extension last offseason, he couldn't get traded until after the trade deadline. So the Mavericks are just kind of pie in the sky there. It definitely just feels like one of those things where uh, what are we going to talk about? You know, it'd be it's fun to imagine, you know, and you could get conspiracy theory esque and, and and think about how LeBron drafted Luka and Kyrie back-to-back in the All-Star draft this past year. Um, And we know LeBron's history with Kyrie. We know LeBron's uh, relationship and friendship with Luka Doncic. But uh, like you mentioned, him clearing waivers, we talked about this earlier. It's just hilarious to think, you know, LeBron gets bought out, which first of all is just insane to think about in the first place he gets bought out with intentions to go into dallas and then one of the other texas team picks him up he gets he ends up in houston or san antonio which he probably wouldn't mind playing with wimby uh, but jeremy sohan might have an issue because we've seen uh, a little beef between jeremy sohan and lebron on twitter but um it's just funny to think about that and him clearing waivers and end up you know when houston or, or detroit or, or san antonio something like that <laughs> 
Yeah, can you imagine the Houston Rockets after the season that they just had? And they're just like, you know what? Actually, we're all set. I don't think we could really use LeBron James or like the Spurs who have Wemby coming into town and they're trying to figure out any way possible to turn themselves into a competitive franchise as fast as possible. And they're like, yeah, we're going to let the team down the road have LeBron James. I just, it, it can't happen. It won't happen. Um, I don't know how much longer. I mean, this will probably fill the airwaves for, you know, what, one more day until we get yeah. game three of the NBA finals. And then it'll probably almost never be talked about again. Not to mention, uh, you know, like the Spurs have two first round picks next year, so they could use that next one uh, on Bronny James because, you know, it's a package deal. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I know I mentioned uh, the Pistons <laughs> being one of those teams who uh, were one of the bottom nine teams, especially since they missed out on the top pick in the draft. Um, they would be a team that would be willing to do that. But they're also a team who was in the news because they made a coaching hire and they hired Monty Williams, made Monty Williams a very rich man. Uh, at least in wealth, very already very rich in, in wisdom and kindness. Uh, but made a very rich man six year deal, uh, worth north of seventy five million dollars, according to multiple reports. Could be worth as much as one hundred million dollars. I think it's a great hire. Didn't think he was going to get back into coaching, but I think that's a hard figure to turn down. He takes over a roster that features Kate Cunningham, Jay Nivey, Jalen Duran, the number five pick in this year's draft, a bunch of other young guys. Um. What do you think about that coaching hire first? Because there's another coaching hire in the Western Conference, which has a little more uh, title, uh, I guess, implications with it. But when you talk about the future of the league and, and what the Pistons have going on, I think it's a great hire. Um, but what do you think about Monty Williams in Detroit? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're the one that pointed out just how Monty Williams is really the one who kind of ushered that turnaround in Phoenix and turned right. them from, you know, kind of an incomparable uh, young franchise with, you know, some talented pieces on their roster, but no, you know, nothing that was really turning into a strong, like playoff contending organization anytime soon until right. he came in and ushered that turnaround in the bubble. And now, you know, they've been a contender for, you know, every year since then. Um, I don't see why he can't do something similar in Detroit. I think Detroit has some, like, you know, some interesting young pieces. I am a huge Cade Cunningham fan, as I think most people still are, even though he had that, you know, really unfortunate injury last season. I like Jaden Ivey a lot. I like Jalen Duren a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, they finished. They finished with the worst record in the NBA. Obviously, they were hoping to get Victor Weminyama. It's unfortunate that they fell to the number five overall pick where they did. But at the same time, like the way that the mock draft boards are shaping up, I actually think that they could end up getting a player, uh, whether it's Cam Whitmore or Jairus Walker, two players I'm really, really high on in this draft class that also perfectly fit what Detroit needs. Um, and I expect both of those players to be available and, and Detroit's going to be able to make their selection. I, at least I think is going to be able to make their selection of who they would rather have out mm-hmm. of those two players. So, you know, it, it could be worse for them in that situation. Right. Um, and I just really trust Monty Williams to be the type of guy to be able to put all those young pieces together and actually start to form a team that can, you know, maybe make some noise and, and try and crack like the playing tournament or something like that. I mean, it might be a stretch to say as soon as next year, but in, in the coming years, it makes sense right. to me that Detroit was willing to shell out that money. Yeah, no, I think that it, like that's exactly why I said it was such a good fit for him. I think about those bubble sons, they went eight and no, and they came up short. But I think the biggest thing about that was it, they rewrote the narrative. The, the Suns, aside from that year, I think they finished a one game shy of the playoffs. I think it was a year where they had Dragic and Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe, which was a really weird roster to begin with. And they had to clean things up a little bit, but they won, I think, 40 plus games. They were pretty much a laughing stock. The culture there was being mocked, and that's kind of how Detroit is. I don't even think that they're laughing stock. They're just kind of like just disregarded in the grand scheme of the NBA. They have so many young, talented players, and they've also become a place um, where they're taking shots on guys that have been written off by their 
organizations. We've talked about the young guys on their team. They also have Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman on, on their roster as well. So uh, a young roster like that, there's a lot of, of potential uh, for them to kind of make good on some of the talent. Some of those guys are going to pan out. Obviously, we know Kate Cunningham is going to pan out. We know what he's capable of. He missed the majority of last season after having surgery on his shin. Um, but then, like you mentioned, adding a, a top five pick into the mix, I think that's huge for them. And Monty Williams can do something to that culture similar to what he did in Phoenix. Now, speaking of Phoenix, Frank Vogel, Hired as the lead man, Matt Ishbia gets his guy. 2020 NBA championship head coach is tasked with leading Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and company um, after they came up short in the second round. Uh, embarrassing elimination in the second round for the second straight year. A little surprised by not even like in a surprise, disrespectful way to Frank Vogel. I just didn't think that was the direction they were going to go. Uh, what are your thoughts about Frank Vogel in Phoenix? Yeah, that was another one that really surprised me. I'm uh, sitting here actually quickly trying to pull up where the Suns finished in defensive rating in the NBA this past season. Um, and it's not popping out to me right away. Actually, seventh. They finished seventh. So they were better defensively yeah. than I thought they were. Um, but, you know, I mean, that was a surprising hire. That's a name that I think a lot of people forgot about after he took a year off this past year. Still yeah. kind of think that he got a raw deal. Uh, yeah, with the sure. Lakers just because it wasn't a very talented roster and you know he had just won a championship there and, and you know they can him anyway but I think it's a great pickup for the Suns I think he's someone that can add a little bit of structure to that organization uh, in terms of you know player development which I think is going to be big because they, they're not going to have a lot of uh, you know wiggle room with that roster and there's a lot of missing pieces after you know Devin Booker and after Kevin Durant and Chris Paul uh, and DeAndre Ayton um, he's going to have to, he's going to have his work cut out for him there. But I do think that, you know, when it comes to X's and O's and getting that team to compete at a championship, uh, level on the defensive end and figuring things out on the offensive end, I mean, that's going to come to them naturally with two of the, the best scorers in the NBA today in D book and KD. So, you know, I think that's a great hire. I think it's a situation that is, uh, obviously an enticing one, but one of the more, um, you know, kind of confusing or, or mm -hmm. uh, complicated. Uh, head coaching vacancies that we had this offseason. Um, but I think that, you know, if that's their guy and it, it clearly seemed like that was Matt Ishbia's guy, um, I think they did a great job in that hiring. Yeah, it comes with a lot of pressure. I think that's the big thing about that job we saw with Monty Williams. That team, you know, they, it was tough for him. Kevin Durant was in and out of the lineup and he had to kind of just figure things out on the fly and they weren't able to figure things out on the fly. I think one thing that gets kind of overlooked uh, with Frank Vogel one is he won a championship, probably one of people put the asterisks on or whatever, one of the hardest championships to win in the bubble, you know, after all that time off. But before that, even when he was in Indiana, you know, he coached those, those Pacers teams that really gave the heat. A harder series than a lot of the other teams that the Heat uh, faced during that run, you know, with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh there, you know, he took the Heat to seven games multiple times and he had a young Paul George and, and you know, that that Roy Hibbert was was the guy that, you know, anchored that defense. So seeing him and his ability to connect uh, with the Suns players, DeAndre Ayton, the Suns are going to have some decisions to make uh, with Chris Paul moving forward. I think I read that they're going to guarantee his contract fully. It was only supposed to be half guaranteed for the upcoming season. But, you know, whether it, that means they're going to make a move or, or run it back uh, similarly to last year, like you mentioned, that they're a little strapped with the types of moves that they can make. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, a, a guy who knows how to coach veteran teams. If he can connect with them and develop a relationship with them, I think that that, again, is a good – it's not a bad hire for a team who's looking to win right away. Speaking of hires and hires, what are the Raptors doing? We They're the one team, the last opening, um, still have yet to make a head coaching hire. They're linked to a lot of different names. Sergio Scariolos, who was uh, on the sideline in Toronto, Back during the Nick Nurse era, went back to Italy uh, and is coaching Virtus Bologna, I believe. Um, he's 
maybe the favorite, but Steve Nash has been linked to it. JJ Reddick's been linked to the deal. Adrian Griffin is now, uh, in Milwaukee, head coach of the Bucks. So he's no longer in the running. Um, what do you think the Raptors are waiting on before hiring a head coach? Man, the draft is almost here. How can you draft a player without a coach for the system? I know, seriously, especially, you know, when the Raptors have what it's the 13th overall pick. So, you know, that's a pretty prime right. spot. And right. it's kind of shocking to me that they've waited this long, especially because the draft is, you know, just over two weeks out. But in the most Raptors fashion possible, there has not been a ton of leaks and a ton of information about who they're favoring or anything like that. I mean, there's been the list of names like you just mentioned. I think Kenny Atkinson is another one that I saw today right. that yep. is still somewhat in the mix, who would be obviously a great hiring for uh, Toronto. You know, I can't see someone like Doc Rivers or anything like that. Like, I, I don't see him being someone right. that's uh, linked to Toronto. So, you know, it does sound like, uh, Sergio Scariola is someone that they are very interested in. It's someone they're familiar with. I mean, he's ha- been an interim head coach for, you know, a game, I think it was. Right. When yeah, I was out with yeah. COVID back in the day. So, um, you know, that's someone that's familiar with the organization. It would not surprise me in the slightest if that is who they end up going with. Uh, there was that report today from Mark Stein that uh, their interview that they were going to have with him. Uh, has been canceled or not canceled, just postponed because Ascario's uh, team is competing in the finals in the league over in Italy. So, uh, you know, it just kind of puts another delay on this potential hiring uh, for the Raptors. And, you know, we are 17 days, 17 days out at the time of recording from the NBA draft. So they're just going to have to really trust Bobby, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri to be the ones that are going through the entire pre-draft process and finding the right guy, because it does seem like they're going to take this all the way up to, or pretty close to, you know, two weeks out and maybe even less than that on their head coach hiring. Yeah, I think that's the big thing you mentioned, the the familiarity that he has with the organization, uh, Sergio Scariolo, that is. I think that that's a, a huge thing. It's crazy you mentioned when he took over. That was back when the entire coaching staff had COVID. And by chance, Sergio Scariolo had to leave and coach the Spanish national team. And he wasn't with the team. And he was the one coach that didn't catch COVID. And he was back uh, to coach the team. I think it would be a very uh, Raptorsian uh, choice to hire him. And I think it would be very NBA sound system-ish that he's that they're going to make the hire after we get on them for uh, making this between now and the next time we record. So don't be surprised if after Monday, June 5th, uh, the Raptors make their head coaching hire. But um, I, again, I think if I had to choose right now, I would say a Sergio Scariolo, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what direction that goes. Now, enough about the offseason talk. There's still a series to be played. Last night, June 4th, the Heat tied up the NBA Finals at one game apiece after everybody wrote them off uh, after they were um, they weren't outclassed in game one. They, but they, they did didn't look like they had enough uh, in game one to contend with this Nuggets team. But they made some changes. Um, they got back into the series. What are your thoughts on the NBA Finals right now uh, as it's tied one game apiece and the series shifts back to Miami? I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I saw a Miami Heat win coming in Denver, considering they haven't mm-hmm. lost a home playoff game right. uh, the entire postseason. But at the same time, if there's any team that knows how to throw a counter punch, I don't know if there's a team in the league in, in our entire life, like our lifetime, honestly, that yes, has been actually. better at throwing a counter punch than the Miami Heat. So, you know, the biggest difference to me, obviously, and, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you this. They were knocking down their shots last night. I mean, they had another just blistering night from the three, uh, from beyond the arc. Uh, after, you know, guys like Caleb Martin and Max Struess go a combined one for 17 from the field in game one. Max Struess catches fire in the first quarter. Gabe Vincent is looking like Stephen Curry again. Um, <laughs> you know, they just, they find a way to knock down shots. They play, play, they play really tough, hard nosed defense. Um, you know, obviously the, the viral clip was that, uh, Eric Spolstra, you know, kind of coming at Ramona Shelburne for asking if they, you know, kind of allowed Nikola Jokic to be a scorer 
Uh, and he kind of denied that. But at the same time, to me, it really felt like that was pretty clearly the game plan. I mean, the guy took 28 shots. He didn't have a single game this entire season where he took 28 shots, excluding the postseason. Uh, he only had four assists. That's the, that was tied for the third least that he had in a game this entire year, playoffs included. That was his postseason low. Um, so, you know, it's just another Eric Spolstra. He's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And here they are tied up 1-1. No one ever thought that they really had a chance in the series the same way no one thought they had a chance against Boston, the same way they didn't think people didn't think they had a chance against Milwaukee. So the Miami, the Miami Heat are here and we have ourselves a series. Yeah, I think I'm on to Eric Spolstra with that, uh, that answer. I think that I mean, everybody knows what that that's the game plan. I kind of feel like, you know, um, it, it's much more complicated. I know even Ramona Shelburne said, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think Eric Spolster's like, I'm not going to talk about my game plan here, but that's definitely uh, has a hand in what they're trying to do because when you make him a scorer, obviously he can do, like you mentioned, less of the playmaking that he does that gets everybody else involved. And you look at the box score, Jokic at 41, but then after that, it was Jamal Murray, the next leading scorer with 18. Um, and when those guys aren't doing as much to hurt you, um, then obviously that just weakens what the Nuggets do. I, I think another part of, of what we, and we've talked about it at length, you know, going in to game two and coming out of game two, Kevin Love getting back into the starting lineup. I was looking and, and doing some writing about that over at the Sporting News. I believe they're now 11 and two when they run that starting lineup of Struess, Vincent, Butler, Love, and Adebayo. Um, Kevin Love didn't even do that much that that really shows up on the stat sheet, but he took a charge. Um, you know, he was rebounding. He added more size because you look at game one, Aaron Gordon was punishing them on the inside. Kevin Love played some great help defense on Gordon, on Jokic, and then gave Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler a little more flexibility uh, to do more. I think the big thing that's interesting is that, you know, the Heat were able to win this game on a night where Jimmy Butler went seven for 19 from the field. Seems like he's not right. I think that ankle injury, I, I think, you know, is, is really – bigger than he'd lean on and we and we know that Jimmy Butler's never going to lead on uh any more than than we know but I'm very interested and curious to see you know if this series you know if, if this is just the heat getting their one or, or if this series really does get extended to one of those that goes six or seven games I initially gave the heat enough respect thinking that they would win this they would they would get two games in the series and Nuggets would win in six games he got two games in 2020 against the Lakers as well I don't know if it goes any longer than that I don't know if the heat can actually get it done I think that they have to play pretty much perfect basketball to win the series. And I don't know if you think that that's out of the realm of possibility or if that's something they could actually do for to get three wins. They're three wins away. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, the Heat, they win that game last night and everyone chalks it up to three-point variance. And, oh, well, you know, uh, the Nuggets had a terrible night shooting and, and their <laughs> other guys didn't step up. And, uh, you know, it's always like all these excuses about, like, why the Heat won the game as opposed to, like, talking about how the Heat won the game. And they're, yeah. all, like you just said, they're only three wins away. Would it really right. shock you if they just happened to, you know, pull, like, just pull off three more wins by playing Heat basketball the way that they have gotten to this yeah. point, you know, all season? It's, I don't know, it's just pretty impressive to me. That they just find ways to win and they have no problem, you know, playing in a rock fight the same way that they did last night. They have no problem. Uh, you know, switching up the game plan to let the other team superstar go off for 40 points as long as they're bottling up the other role players. And, you know, you, you mentioned that Jimmy Butler ankle. I mean, against the Celtics, when they started making that comeback in those three straight games, it really looked like Jimmy Butler was hampered by that ankle. But then in game seven, when everything was on the line and it mattered most, he was the one that stepped up and played the best on that team in that game you know, maybe Caleb Martin aside. So, you know, here, here we are with the heat. I mean, they found a way to even it up at one, one. I mean, now they're going back home. They technically have home court advantage moving forward. Yeah. So to me, 
it does kind of feel like they might have figured something out a little bit, but you have to continue to switch up the game plan because Nikola Jokic is an absolute genius and he's going to find a way to beat you if you stick with the same strategy. But that's where the Heat have an advantage because Eric Spolstra is, you know, arguably the best coach in the NBA right now. And he's going to find another way to, you know, throw a wrench into the game plan and, and keep Nikola Jokic off balance or at least try to. I still think the Nuggets prevail. I had them in six mm-hmm. as well, just like you did. Um, I just think they're the better team. I think they're the best team in the NBA right now. Um, but you know, the Heat are going to do everything they can to make this, uh, you know, a, a true heavyweight battle in the NBA finals. And, and to that point you made earlier, like, you know, what we've seen over our, our lifetimes is that like, you know, there's no better team that, uh, making a counterpunch than the Heat. And what I've learned this postseason, I don't think they're very many teams that are better at making a counterpunch after that. I think the second best team is the Nuggets. I think we've seen that, you know, in that Lakers series. And I mentioned it a little bit, you know, Lakers, you know, would go up eight, 10 and the Nuggets punch back, even in game two, you know, the, the, the heat came out firing Nuggets countered. And then the heat just had, had the final counter punch. I think the big thing coming out of game two is Mike Malone. And a lot of those guys uh, were really upset. Uh, or Michael Malone, excuse me, Michael Malone. And a lot of those guys were really upset with the team's effort saying it's inexcusable in NBA finals. Um, you can't have a dud in the finals. Do you think that that is an issue that uh, will be big as the series goes on? Or do you think that they will correct that and won't make that same mistake twice? Yeah, I don't think they'll make that same mistake twice. You know, I, I think they're just so cohesive as a team that it's hard for me to believe that, you know, guys like MPJ and I mean, Jamal Murray got hot at the end there, but like it, Aaron Gordon, like it just feels like KCP had like one of his worst games I think I've mm-hmm. ever seen him play last night. Um, it just feels like that, that unit, like they're, they're just too talented as a team. I, I can't see them laying another egg the way that they did last night. Um, I think they're going to counter, you know, Jokic talked about how they need to play a little bit faster. Can't let Miami get set up in that zone. I think again, Jokic is going to find a way to, you know, kind of counter on his own to what the Heat are doing to him. I mean, they, they didn't double team him as much last night. I think I wrote about it in a story over at the sporting news, but there was possession late in the game, like 45 seconds left down by five. He has Gabe Vincent one-on-one in the post. And there's not a single person that came over for help defense or to double team because they wanted to make sure that nobody on the perimeter got free for an open look. It's just like things like that, that Miami was doing defensively that probably would have been pretty tough to figure out on the fly because for Jokic it's as easy as I'm just going to put my head down and go score an easy basket here. But you know, now they're going to have two days to review the film and see, okay, how can we counter this and I think they go back I think they take the next one in Miami um, mm-hmm. and then I, I honestly think we go back to Denver with the series tied 2-2 because I think okay. Miami takes game four I don't know how you feel yeah, no, I was going to say, um, I, I'm thinking that I still, I'm sticking with my, 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 uh, Nuggets and Six prediction. There's nothing that I've seen in this series that doesn't make me feel otherwise. I was going to say, when we talked about the effort and, and it feels like there was a little bit of a subtweet, uh, towards Michael Porter Jr., who had some, uh, lapses as far as the defensive effort goes. And I think we've seen that, but I think he'll straighten that up as well. And the other thing I was going to say is, um, as of right now with the series tied one, one, the earliest that it can end is next Monday. So depending on, uh, where we're at in the series, we'll, uh, either have a pregame, uh, preview of that or we'll just, you know, re- we'll be back. Uh, after the NBA championship is decided. We're going to take a quick break because there's some more news around the league regarding some of the NBA's brightest up-and-coming stars that we can definitely get into, and there's a lot to uh, talk about with that. So quick break. We'll be right back. All right, the FIBA Basketball World Cup is coming up in late August, and Team USA is starting to fill out GM Grant Hill, who has taken over uh, Team USA or USA Basketball and new head coach Steve Kerr 
are filling their roster. And I, and I mentioned the GM because it kind of seems like you might be the GM. It seems like they got, they, they really just are starting to put together a team just after your own heart. Uh, a couple of the names that we have already, Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. So six of the 12 uh, members of the roster have been filled out. We're going younger, two of the NBA's up-and-coming first-time All-Stars this past year in Edwards and Halliburton. What are your thoughts about the team so far uh, as they look to bounce back from an ugly, ugly, ugly seventh-place finish back in China in 2019? Yeah, I mean, Grain Hill turned down my request for uh, Melo Trimble on the roster, but I'm glad that he had Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, and Mikel Bridges. That's a real deep cut for anyone. If you, if you, if your ears perked up at Melo Trimble, shout out to you. But, um, no, I mean, you know, obviously there was a lot of backlash about guys like Bobby Portis and Austin Reeves being on this team. I actually have, I mean, I don't really have any problem as long as the, you know, we want to see guys that are going there and want to play and want to compete and play hard. Mm-hmm. And I really like the idea of like a youth movement, you know, especially for a FIBA World Cup. When it's the Olympics, yeah. you know, you want to see the big names. You want to see Kevin Durant. You want to see Stephen Curry potentially make his first ever, you know, Olympics debut. But, you know, for something like the FIBA World Cup, I really like the idea of Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Mikel Bridges, Jalen Brunson. There are a couple guys that I had in mind that I really want to see just kind of like become those mainstays on Team USA and really mm-hmm. represent our country. And that's Devin Booker and Jason Tatum, who both just won gold at the last Olympics. Like those are guys that I really want to see take pride in like, you know, repping team USA the same way that guys like Mello and Dwayne Wade yeah. and Chris Paul and LeBron James did. Like, I feel like they are and can be those guys. Um, but you know, there are other young players that I feel like haven't really had a great chance to compete for team USA. And I would love to see them jump on the roster. Uh, someone that came to mind right away was De'Aaron Fox after just, mm-hmm. you know, having an incredible season this past year. Um, you know, I would love to see him, on the roster. Another guy that, you know, he dealt with some injuries this past year, but LaMelo Ball, like he's someone that I've never really seen his name thrown in the ring for Team USA. Uh, a couple other guys that I had written down, Darius Garland, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Donovan Mitchell, if we're going to go to, you know, another kind of like bigger star. I already yeah. mentioned Jason Tatum, but for other forwards and bigs, you know, there are some interesting young options here, like whether it's Jaron Jackson Jr. coming off yeah. of a defensive player of the year, and you're going to need bigs to compete in FIBA because it's very big and very physical and, you know, a lot of interior play. Evan Mobley is someone else that I would love to see out there, potentially Scotty Barnes. I even have Walker, someone like Walker Kessler down here. That's a good who I would love yeah. to see kind of get a run uh, with this FIBA World Cup team. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't have as much of a problem with the reported players that there are so far as some other people did. I like the idea of a youth movement. I'd like to see them commit to that youth movement and continue to build out this roster with some of the best young stars that USA has to offer. Yeah, another name I'll, I'll throw out there, uh, especially given uh, Grant Hill's day job with the Atlanta Hawks is Trey Young. I know Trey Young yeah. is a guy who's definitely felt overlooked by USA basketball, and it kind of feels like they're maybe on their their last leg. If they don't invite him to one more thing, it, he might just be completely out on it. Um, I, I think the thing that I'm thinking about with a lot of these guys, and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is a great one. That's that's the name I, I think about, and, and, I, and I'm really curious because you know when you look at the the, the landscape of bigs in the NBA right now. Um, the majority of them are are international bigs or they're non-American bigs. We talk about the best ones. I think that, that isn't a disadvantage, but I do think that's like the one area um, that the team is going to have to really focus on uh, as far as constructing the roster right now as it stands. You know, got a lot of wings and Bobby Portis is the one big. I think he brings a lot of what's important uh, for FIBA basketball as far as his ability to stretch the floor. But I'm interested to see, you know, a little more rim protection, you know, who is the the true real banger that that they could have to kind of you know com- contend uh, with those guys? And I was looking at you know who uh, is in the United States group. Uh, 
New Zealand, who Stephen Adams does not play for New Zealand for other reasons. And I don't know if that's going to change this summer, but Greece is the main one that stands out. The Antetokounmpo's will probably be be playing uh, in the World Cup this year, and that's somebody that you're going to have to figure out how to contend with because he brings a lot of problems. He's the best player in the world, uh, maybe the best player in the world, not named Nikola Jokic. So thinking about that, do you think that it's a bigger need for more star power like a Tatum or a Booker or a bigger need to kind of shore up that front court? Because that really does concern me. I don't know how concerned you are. I actually think there's so much talent on the wing uh, that Team USA could present that like even if guys like Tatum and Booker don't show up, I think that the United States will still be fine. So I yeah. actually am going to lean more on needing, you know, some front court, some big bodies in the front court, someone that can actually size up with someone like Giannis or size up with, you know, some of the other best bigs in the world that, like you said, are all from international countries. I mean, when they finished seventh at the World Cup in 2019, that was the biggest issue. I remember that was when they had like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown really like, like that was when they kind of made their almost like debut as like post defenders or trying to become post defenders because the USA just didn't have enough size. Like they, it was like Miles Turner and I mean, Mason Plumley and Brooke Lopez. Mason Plumley, Brooke Lopez, right. Like, you know, we did not put forth our best, you know, big men that the United States have to offer. So I'm going to say that it is actually more important they shore up the front court than it is that they get commitments from stars like Tatum and Booker and Donovan Mitchell because there's enough star power to go around on the wing and in the backcourt. As you look at it right now, would you make Team USA fair? Also, I'm looking at this roster from 2019. I completely forgot Derek White played on that team as well. Um, who's on that team? Would you, do you, are you comfortable thinking that Team USA is a favorite right now or, or do you think they need to do a little more before you can give them that respect? Because Spain's I mean, defending champs. They are. Spain is the defending champs, but I don't know, man. I mean, United States is always going to be the favorite going into these type yeah. of tournaments. I'd be shocked yeah. if they're not. I, I would think that, you know, no matter who else they fell at this roster with, they would probably still be the betting favorite to win the FIBA World Cup. It's just that, you know, they were the betting favorite to win the FIBA World Cup in 2019 when they finished in seventh place. So it kind of <laughs> depends on how roster, like the construct of the roster comes together. You know, it's Grand Hill's first go around at this. Uh, I feel like he's going to want to put together as competitive a roster as possible. I think someone like Bobby Portis, like you said, has that physical kind of, you know, I don't give a, you know what mentality. <laughs> I'm going to bang bodies yeah. with anybody and I'm going to have an attitude when I play down low. And I respect adding players to the roster like that because like I said he wants to be there he's going to compete and he's going to give you his best effort so you know fill out the front court around him with you know some players that are a little bit bigger maybe a little bit more talented and and have a little bit more star power and I think the United States are going to be the favorite going into this thing yeah, another guy, you know, who lacks in, in height, uh, but has played, he played and got, got gold in 2021, uh, was Bam out of bio. I know he's having a long year, but that's another name that we probably could see, uh, out there. Feels like Brooke Lopez is a little bit too old to do it now, but I don't think that that would be the worst, uh, selection. I know Jared Allen is another guy who uh, maybe we could opt for and maybe like a, a dark horse, like a Nick Claxon or, or somebody like that could be somebody who could just add, add some athleticism and size. It still just doesn't feel like there's like the, the typical bangers. Cause I know if, if they advance past a uh, group, the first group play, they could meet Lithuania who has a front court of Jonas Valanciunas and Demontis Sabonis. And you cannot be thin in the front court uh, there. Now we talked about, Team USA a little bit, but Team Canada, there's no reports uh, like this with Team Canada, who is still led by Philadelphia 76ers head coach Nick Nurse. Kind of awkward at this point, at least in my eyes. But, you know, he he won a championship for the Raptors, so he's always good there. Who would you like to see uh, for 
Team Canada. It's been a crazy year. We saw Shea uh, get All-NBA first team. We saw Nikhil Alexander-Walker coming to his own with Timberwolves. And obviously, Jamal Murray is playing uh, at a high level in the finals. He's had a long year. We know he's bouncing back from an injury. So that makes me kind of iffy on whether or not we'll see him there. But um, a couple names who you think uh, could maybe help Canada get a podium finish uh, at the World Cup this year? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. The Jamal Murray thing is tough because I just don't see a world in which he plays after making a run all the way to the finals. And, you know, this thing starts up in what, like mid August? They probably yeah. report to training camp at the beginning of August, maybe even have exhibition games going before then. So, you know, the, the Canadian dream of having a Jamal Murray SGA backcourt uh, is probably not going to happen, but. I would love to see Shea Gilders Alexander shoot up or suit up for Canada. Uh, Andrew Wiggins and RJ Barrett are two guys that, you know, would love to see them playing again. Uh, Lugens Dort is someone that I would love mm-hmm. to see filling out that roster as well. Obviously, you're going to have the mainstays guys like Kelly Olinick and Corey Joseph. Um, but then you go down to the younger guys and. I don't know if someone like Shaden Sharp would get a chance. I don't know if someone like Benedict Matherem would get a chance, but those are two players that I had circled that I would really like to see get an opportunity. Andrew Nemhard, another one. Um, you know, forgive me if I'm forgetting any young names, uh, any young Canadians. You already mentioned Akil Alexander Walker, but those are a couple guys that I had come to mind. Yeah, you know, I was looking back to last year they had that that 14 player core they had for the 2022 summer we mentioned uh Nikhil, RJ Barrett, O'Shea Brissett, Dylan Brooks who is a free agent this offseason I don't know if he'll have his contract situation and his next team sorted out by them but that's a guy who I think uh you know could bring a lot to the FIBA game another guy we didn't name Zach Ed, Zach Eddie Zach Eddie's a guy or why am I <laughs> he's a guy he's going he's, he pulls name out of the draft but um you know, talk about size. You know, he, he doesn't get much bigger uh, than seven four. Uh, so seeing him, you know, play, you know, in the international game, I think that that makes things, you know, a little interesting as far as that goes. And, and Dwight Powell is another guy who I think, you know, could fill out the roster. So you know, I think for them, um, the, the star power is there now. If we see Shea and, and see RJ um, out there, and then you have defense with Lou Dort and, and Dylan Brooks. So I think that they kind of, you know, could position themselves. It's going to be really tough. Like, you know, you talk about, you know, Team USA, but talk about these other, you know, countries who just have these established programs, you know, be it Spain or, 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 or Greece, you know, um, you know, Serbia, uh, Lithuania. I know we saw it a couple of years ago, you know, at, at the Olympic qualifiers where they weren't able to, to get past, um, I think it was it was Croatia uh, that they lost to, or um, I mean, let me let me let me make sure that I'm I'm, I'm good here. Uh, but you know, just thinking about thinking back to that and seeing you know where they they bounced back. Um, sorry, Czech Republic uh, they lost to in, in the finals back. You know when they hosted uh, things in Victoria back in, in 2021. So bouncing back from that, it's, it's always tough timing, but I think that the, the program is definitely trending in, in the right direction. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what direction they they go with the roster choices they make going uh, out into the World Cup, which will be played in Japan, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I feel like for Team Canada, the story is always who doesn't show up because, you know, mm-hmm. the amount of talent uh, that Canada has put into the NBA over the last couple of years. I mean, second most players of any country outside of the United States. It just seems like whether it's injuries, contract situations, this or that, they never get to fill, field their best, most complete roster. And, you know, it might be another scenario like that this year. We already talked about guys like Jamal Murray and, and Dylan Brooks who may not be available. Um, but, you know, just having that next man up and having, you know, the next young player ready to go, whether that is guys like Benedict Matherin or Shaden Sharp or Zach Eady, like ready to rock, like, you know, there's no harm there, especially at a FIBA yeah. World Cup where, you know, you just want to be as competitive as possible and put yourself in a good position for the Olympics moving forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, again, like I said, apologies to Zach Eady. I just... 
tripped up for a second. But, you know, again, a- adding him to the roster and having, you know, a guy like that and, and again, just building because I mean, if you don't win this year or you, you know, you jump in the top five or whatever the, the course may be, or the case may be, um, thinking about, you know, another year from now, which is when the Olympics are, are going to be in, in Paris, you know, Benedict Mathurin's a year older, Shaden Sharp's a year older, um, you know, might be a few, fewer things going on. You know, guys have their contract situations figured out. All of those things are, are, are kind of settled and, and it could be, you know, a, a better year uh, for that. So I definitely think, like I said, things are trending in the right direction. It's going to be exciting to see uh, what team Canada is able to do this summer at the world cup. And then moving forward. Now, as we, Wrap up, we do as we do so well. Shout outs. I don't know if there's something that you've had your eye on that you want to get everybody else's attention to, uh, but your shout out for uh, this week. My shout out for this week is going to go to Christian Brown from the Denver Nuggets. Okay. Because okay. he came out in the first half last night, and I feel like he was a huge spark in that 40 to 14 run that the Nuggets had. He just made the right plays. I just love the way he plays winning basketball. I mean, he won a national championship with Kansas last year. He won three state championships in high school. Now he's playing on the NBA final stage. He's the only rookie that is still playing in the NBA right now in a rotation. You know, yeah. he's just someone that the reason I'm giving him a shout out is not just because I like Christian Brown. And I like his game a lot. And I was a big fan of him in the pre-draft process, everything I saw from him at the combine, but also just because it's kind of the beauty of the draft cycle kind of coming to a close at the same time as the playoffs, because you really start to evaluate these prospects in a mm-hmm. different eye of seeing like, could this guy fit into a playoff rotation? Would he be played off the floor because of this weakness or that weakness in, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's draft prospects that are sitting waiting for the next episode of NBA sound system to drop. But if you are listening out there and you're a basketball player that's up and coming, like you can learn a lot from guys like that because not every prospect is going to be LeBron James. Not every prospect is even going to be, you know, a number one overall pick like Anthony Edwards, who's running the show, but like there's still a role for these players to make an impact on playoff teams and championship teams just by making the right plays, playing hard on the defensive end, making the extra pass, knocking down shots when, you know, your star is double teamed and you're the person that's sitting open in the corner. There are already a couple prospects in my mind that would fit really well on championship caliber teams in this year's draft class. But like there are other guys that are kind of on that fringe of like, oh, maybe they could be a super, like not superstar, but maybe they could be an all-star or maybe they could be a role player and finding their niche on the team that they get drafted by will be you know, vitally important to having the longest possible NBA career. So I'm watching a player like Christian Brown last night. I love his game, love the way he plays winning basketball. And that's my shout out for the day. That's huge. You know, I think you talk about that. I think that speaks a lot about those blue blood programs. Guy comes from, from Kansas and, and is just learning the, the way to play the, the right way. And now we'll probably see it similarly with Grady Dick this upcoming season. We see it with Villanova guys. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry doing his thing in, in the finals. And we've seen a bunch of Villanova guys do their thing, uh, throughout the playoffs as well. So thinking about that and, and how that goes from just being able to compete for a national title in college to be competing for an NBA finals. I kind of said it in jest, but I was watching the game i was like man this guy's used to playing on the big stage he's playing for a national championship how the biggest comeback in ncaa uh championship history when they when they beat uh unc uh last year so that's that's definitely uh a huge one i know we i know we shouted out a couple guys in the heats roster so i kind of have a two-part shout out one is related to the finals i'm gonna give a shout out to duncan robinson for staying ready playing back into the rotation i think he was a guy who uh was 
subject to a lot of criticism. He signed a big contract, and who? How can I blame him for signing the line on that? They put that in front of you. Got to do that a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, but he had a huge uh, stretch in that game to win ten points. Um, hit a couple threes. One was really tough. He had like a stare down three point. I know you mentioned some of the the plays that they had uh, in that fourth quarter to kind of get away from them, and him just being ready. Him just kind of uh, really adjusting and figuring out, you know, because you, you easily say, hey, I'm making $90 million. I'm just going I'm just going to chill. But he uh, figured out how to get back in the rotation. He's making game winning plays and being impactful for this Heat team. And they would not be where they are if it wasn't for him. Um, there are some of all the parts and everybody that they have kind of falls in behind the stars that they have. Uh, but he's a guy who I feel like we've talked about a lot of guys. We've talked about Kevin Love getting back into the starting lineup and, and being a winner for them. But him, uh, I think this says a lot. Uh, you know, for you young players out there listening, don't don't uh, get discouraged. You know, stick with it, and then you could bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. Duncan Robinson has really impressed me. Uh, it goes back to the conference final series against the Celtics. Like, yeah. obviously, he is known as a shooter and pretty much only a shooter. And I think that at times when he fell out of the rotation, like that's why because you know he's a liability on the defensive end. Even though he competes, he he tries, but he's still a yeah. target on the defensive end. But aside from that, on offense, he's really just kind of a you know someone that's going to knock down catch and shoot threes or take those dribble handoffs from Bam Adebayo. And if that's not there, then that's really all he's got to his offensive game. He's got to pass the ball because he's not going to create his own shot. But he's turned into someone that has become an active cutter. He killed the Celtics on back cuts. I couldn't believe how many back cuts I saw Duncan Robinson score on in that series. Mm -hmm. He did the same thing last night and he's learned how to attack closeouts and kind of get I'm not going to say he's a shot creator by any means, but at this point, like he's learned how to create his own shot beyond taking a dribble handoff and, and pulling up or, you know, just catch and shoot three. So like you said, staying ready, finding little, again, kind of niche ways to evolve his game, to give him that extra layer uh, on the offensive end to provide value to a team and get back into the rotation. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say it's going to make it very interesting for this team, you know, with their rotation. I guess it's the other part, uh, other half of the shadow because Tyler Hero is a name we didn't mention. He's going to probably be back in this series. He's inching back to his return. It's going to make things interesting. It, it bring, gives them more offense, gives them more difficulty on the defensive end. But again, we mentioned earlier, if they're going to want to beat this Nuggets team, it's not going to be um, from shutting down the Nuggets uh, defensively. They're going to have to just kind of keep up with what the Nuggets are doing on the offensive end. They play 10 guys in game two. Tyler Hero is another guy, another option that they have. We know what he was able to do this past season. The uh, was sixth man of the year the year before. He can fill it up quickly. He's going to have to figure it out. He, he broke his shooting hand um, in, the, in the opening round, but shoot or shoot. And if there's anything we know about Tyler Hero, he's not going to let that discourage him from getting him up. I don't expect him to be shy at all if and when he returns to these finals. I completely agree. I mean, you know how big of a Tyler Hero fan I am. I feel like I'm yeah. more of a believer in him than most people are. Got to get him on Team USA um, but, too, huh? Yeah, why not? I mean, if he wasn't coming <laughs> off a broken hand injury, I mean, maybe he could. But, uh, you know, he's someone that I feel like he could come in and make an impact in the series. It's just going to be interesting to see, like, a, a broken hand on your shooting – or broken – what is it? A finger on a shooting hand. Yeah, two, shoot, is, two fingers uh, on a shooting hand. Two fingers on a shooting hand. Like, that's really difficult to come back from on top of trying to find your way into the rotation and, and keeping the continuity going with what Miami has had rolling ever since that first game of the playoffs when he got injured, um, you know, like you just said, I think that where he makes his biggest impact is the fact that they do need to keep up offensively, and that's more important than what they're doing on the defensive yeah. end to Denver. Yeah. So he can only be an asset in that area. But at the same time, you know, does it come at the expense of 
guys like Duncan Robinson, who we just said is playing really, really well. And I know uh, Stefano wrote something about that over on the Sporting News. Check it out before Tyler Harrell makes his return. But, you know, I, I think he'll be an asset. I'm just curious to see what his playing time is like, what his rhythm is like. And, you know, can he have some of those moments where he really catches fire like we've seen Tyler Harrell do in the past? There you go. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think that's an interesting wrinkle uh, to this series. And, and and the way this postseason has gone for Miami, I could definitely see him kind of coming and having an out-of-body experience, one game that ex- that makes a series longer than it would have been otherwise. And I think he maybe regresses to a guy who looks like he's missed a bunch of time. He hasn't played in almost two months. Um, He, he broke his hand first game of the playoffs. He played in the playing tournament, broke his hand first game of the playoffs, and it's kind of weird. They were able to make it to the finals without him and without Victor Oladipo, but here we are, and that speaks a lot to what Eric Spolster is able to do. So if anybody can figure out the abundance of, I guess, riches that they have with him coming back into the lineup, it's definitely Eric Spolster. Uh, but we'll figure it out, and we'll see uh, where the series stands next week back here on NBA Sound System. There will be plenty more to talk about. We'll see if there are any more ridiculous, ludicrous trade rumors involving the NBA biggest stars and we'll see if the Raptors can eventually figure out uh, who they want to have as their head coach for next season thanks again for tuning in to NBA Sound System please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast we're out every week and we'll get them right into your feed every time they drop for Kyle Irving I am Gil McGregor reminding you always tune in to NBA Sound System catch you next week